Welcome everybody to Rapping with Reef Bomb, a live talk show on YouTube. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. And during each show, I interview guests from the reef keeping community. Today, I welcome Ken Easter from Coral Frenzy, a company that produces a line of coral food. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, how are you managing, Ken, during these crazy, unprecedented times? Things are a little nutty, right? It is pretty nuts. I mean, I don't think I've stayed inside this much um, in 30 days in my entire life. Um, probably left the house three or four times in, in the last month. How about yourself? Yeah, getting a little stir-crazy, you know, getting um, bonding with the wife. We've uh, been been having a lot of uh, quality time together, so it's it's certainly been uh, interesting, but it's good. It's it's all good, and and I think... The house is a lot cleaner than it used to be, and it gives me an opportunity <laughs> to uh, work on a lot of projects, which is which is good. And my wife, the same thing. So that's good. How how is uh, how are you guys uh, faring with the uh, coral frenzy with the business and all that stuff? Are you guys still up and running? Yeah, it's great. It hasn't changed at all. I mean, we're lucky enough. Um, the pet industry hasn't changed too much. You still have to feed your pets, um, both fish and um, corals so um we're allowed to stay open which is nice um we're still shipping um we haven't seen any change really from our end i mean that may change in another 30 days 60 days but as of right now nothing's changed yeah no that's good yeah i mean i've, I've been pretty busy myself and shipping a lot of uh frags out and i think i guess i think it gives aquarius hobbyists a lot of quality time at home and a lot of time to be with their tanks so i think that's a good thing that's a good kind of diversion in these uh in this day and age today. So hopefully it's not going to be going on too much longer though. Yeah, I agree. I tell you, um, I think people's tanks are going to be the cleanest they've ever been. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you don't, if you don't have time to clean your tank right now, something's wrong. So, all right, let's, let's get into a conversation about reef keeping. So you're an old school reefer like me, right? So tell, tell everybody how you got into the, uh, to the hobby, into the business. What's your story? <laughs> well, um, so I guess uh, my first freshwater tank, I think I got it when I was like 14 years old. It was a 29-gallon tank. Um, I think it's pretty common with most people. You know, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, it has undergravel filter, um, air stone, that kind of stuff. Um, my first fish was were those little iridescent sharks. Um, you know, they're just baby catfish, but they call them sharks to get all the kids to buy them. So that was my first step into... Um, aquarium life, as you'd say. Um, I didn't get my first reef tank until 98. Um, I got a 20-gallon long tank. And I don't know if you remember those Marine Land Eclipse 3 hoods. They have like a bio wheel in them and like a 20-watt bulb. Yeah. Um, and um, it was kind of funny. I went to my local fish store. Um, they kind of talked me into I'd always wanted a reef tank. And um, they were like, oh, yeah, you should start off, you know, just get something small and so I got that and I set it up and um and I and I really like the you know pulsing zinnia and like hairy mushrooms and they're like you don't want to get that I'm like no I do I like how it looks and um so I got some zinnia and um next thing you know the whole tank was covered in it it's like it's like the weed or the gift that keeps on giving yeah but you know it's kind of funny though still to this day I like how it looks um I don't think I'd ever have it in a tank again unless it was like on one rock in the middle of where nothing can come near it. So, 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I have some uh, Zoas in my 187-gallon SPS-dominated reef tank that are just kind of taking over the bottom of the tank. I mean, I they started out as two individual frags, and, and they've just really spread, and they're getting on the rocks, and they're actually starting to sting a couple of my uh, my SPS. Some, some SPS don't mind, but yeah, you really have to watch out about some of those corals that could just take off. I mean, I love green-haired polyp coral, and I, I have not had you know, any of that coral in any of my recent reef tanks, but that was probably my favorite coral starting off as a reef tank hobbyist because it just was wild to me that you could have this coral that could spread like that and have this cool, really green, grassy mat that just undulates in the flow. So I thought that was always pretty awesome, but I'm not sure I would ever have that in my tank these days unless, like you said, you had to kind of isolate it someplace. Yeah, I think guys do it where they put it all on the back wall of their tank, and I think it looks great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you've got to make sure nothing's near it, no power heads. And I'm always worried about it. Like, I've always thought about doing it, but I'm always afraid it's going to go in the overflow, and then it's going to go through the whole tank, and it's just, it's just not worth yeah, it. Yeah, no. It's not worth that. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, so you've been in the hobby for a number of years. What, what have you seen in terms of changes over uh, the years, in terms of, you know, big changes to the hobby, um, you know, what, what would stand out to you? Um, I don't know. Um, when we first started out, um, we kind of started out by accident, you know, um, you know, back in around, I guess it was around like 2003, um, the forums were getting big, you know, um, like at that time, Reef Central, um, we even had our local forum, Michigan Reefers was getting big, um, the community seemed a lot tighter back then. Um, you know, you didn't, there weren't any of these big shows other than MACNA. MACNA was really the big show. Um, now what's changed, I think, in the hobby is there's a reef show every single weekend. Um, it, it seems like if you go on, if you look at the list, there's, there's got to be 50, 50 reef shows a year now, which is unheard of. I mean, you have two in one weekend. Um, one nice thing about the hobby though now compared to back then, back then you had to read a ton. Um, you know, if you had a problem in the middle of the night, you know, you had to hope somebody else was online or, you know, you know, if you didn't, if you hadn't already read about it, um, whereas today you can jump on YouTube, find anything in 30 seconds. Um, the internet's a powerful tool. Both, both good and bad. There's a lot of bad advice out there, too. Yeah, no, that's true. We were so, talking yeah, about that yeah, last week on the show with, uh, with Randy, just that, um, you know, you got to be careful in terms of what, what uh, information you pick up from some of the uh, forums because some, sometimes it is not the uh, correct information. So you really got to do your due diligence and, and do a lot of research on topics. And I always try to suggest to people not to act too quick and to really... Um, you know, take their time and, and understand what's going on before they take some advice from the internet and do something to their tank that they might regret later. Oh, exactly. And then back, back when, I don't know about you, but when I first started, you know, the thought of, you know, doing an auto top off or something like that, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'll put off doing that. Now, I mean, if there's any advice I'd give to anybody, that I think every single tank you should just start off having to have one. Especially in a reef tank, it's the it's the easiest way to make sure you keep your salinity levels the same. Yep. Which is, yep. to me, it's really key. Yep. Uh, you can be off. Everything else can can be off quite a bit, and your salinity can be off some. 
but especially when you're in a smaller tank. And, and that's where a lot of people seem, seem to start off with. I mean, like now you can have um, a 10-gallon tank and it can look wonderful. And they're pretty easy to maintain compared to, you know, back in the day. When I had that little 20-gallon, I was constantly, you know, every single day I need to make sure I was coming home to top off evaporation, you know, um, with fresh water. So it, it was a hassle back then. Looking at it, you know, you always had to have somebody watch your tank, whereas now you have, you know, Neptune, um, GHL. There, there's a ton of companies out there that are making these controllers that you can be gone for two weeks, three weeks, a month, you know, I mean, if you had the right setup, you could be gone for years. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Other, other than when you came back, you'd have a, I'm sure you'd have algae all over the front of your glass, but. Um, in front, it'd be but, something. But, yeah, yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a sight for sore eyes, that's for sure. So Ken, all right, now let's talk about um, feeding corals. And why, why do you think it's important for corals to, to, um, to you know, be fed? What, um, what's the philosophy behind that? And well, I don't mean fat, like I mean supplemental feeding. Obviously, they're getting, um, you know, from, from lighting and all that sort of thing and, and the nutrients in the water. But in terms of the extra feeding that you would uh, do to a tank? Yeah, I mean, uh, there, when we first started, when we first came out, there were a lot of people who said, you know, um, corals don't need to be fed. Um, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Uh, we were feeding our corals. Um, we kind of, like, the as far as the dry part of the coral frenzy goes, um, that kind of started by accident, to be honest with you. I was traveling a lot. Um, my business partner, Jason Piper, um, you know, he was doing a lot of tank maintenance. He was selling a lot of corals. I was feeding my corals um, live food and dry food. He was feeding his live food and dry food. Um, the problem is, is, it seemed like every live food needed to be refrigerated. I'd go out of town. Somebody would watch my tank. Um, they'd accidentally leave the, you know, live food out. Um, I'd come back and, you know, my tank didn't look quite right. And then I'd notice the bottle was sitting out. So it was like, well, you know, there's got to be an easier method to this. And, um, you know, the more one thing that we noticed were, were the times that we were feeding, the corals were looking uh, much brighter, much more colorful, and so we just continue to do it. Um, I've been the type of person where I've only had like maybe one, two fish in my tank at a time. Um, so the export from the fish was not enough to, to feed a reef tank. So, you, so go ahead. No, go ahead. I Sorry. was going to say, so you, you mentioned um, that you guys kind of happened upon the, uh, the powder uh, line of your food by accident. Why don't you talk about, um, you know, what you guys have to offer in terms of the powder and, and other things. And, and while you're doing that, I'm going to show a little time-lapse video of the, um, the pellets in terms of them being in the feed mode. Yeah, so uh, we started off with the, the powder for the first 10 years we were in business. Um, that, was our, that was our main staple. Um, the powder is more for SPS. Um, you know, everything can feed from it, but it was more for the SPS, the zoanthids, the recordias, um, just the corals that we were mainly keeping. Um, and then as time progressed, uh, people kept asking for pellets. So um, 
they wanted something where they could feed, you know, target feed their zoanthids, their recordia mushrooms, you know, their LPS corals more. So we wanted to make something that was more for that, along with feeding, um, you know, fish. And it, I just was looking at the video there. Um, a crab jumped in there. Um, crabs seem to go first. Um, it's amazing how, how much damage they do, too. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think it's, it's beneficial for anything that's living to, to consume. Um, you know, one thing that we've always maintained is we always use top quality ingredients. Um, from our schizochytrium to our, our main ingredient, really, that separates us from everybody else is the fact that um, we have salmon roe brought in. Um, it's cold-dried um, at a low temperature, and um, then it's turned into a powder form, and that's the main basis to our food um, that separates us from everybody else. Um, we just recently introduced probiotics. Um, the probiotics part of it is, um, is not for the corals themselves. Um, the probiotics part of it is to keep water clean. Um, there have been no scientific um, studies that we know of that show proof that corals benefit from probiotics. The probiotics part keeps the water clean so you can feed it more. Um, the problem with, you know, it doesn't matter if we put a quarter teaspoon per 50 gallons on the jar um, everybody seems to think the more that you feed them, the faster they'll grow. And um, that's rarely the case. If anything, you should feed less. Um, most corals, and the reason why I say most corals, some corals like mushrooms and recordia, um, they seem to like water that's a little more dirty. Um, but if you get an SPS tank, um, you know, you've got to keep the nutrients, you know, you, you don't need to keep it at zero, but you but you need to keep your your nitrates down. What would um, you say, sure. Ken, is a good range for nitrates and phosphates to to you know optimize the uh, feeding? Every tank's different, to be honest with you. And, and I and I don't like to say numbers out there because um, I just got in a discussion with this with somebody, and he showed me his tank. Um, his nitrates were through the roof. I mean, what what I wouldn't keep anything, and he has one of the nicest looking SPS tanks I've ever seen. So, I mean, I, I don't like to go by numbers, you know, like, uh, perfect example, um, our, our big tank that we have out west, um, we keep our calcium level um, at 480. Um, that's pretty high for a lot of people. And, um, but our corals do well out there. Um, they look nice, but nothing seems to change. Um, you know, I personally would would probably keep them down lower than that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a big fan. I, I don't like to mess with things that are not broke. You know, if, if it's working and it's working well, I like to keep it, you know. Um, I think light has a huge factor. I think, I think lighting, um, flow, salinity, um, those things are, are, the, are the keys to any, any good reef tank. Yeah. Your, you know, your alkalinity. Yeah. No, for sure. How how often can do you think uh, you know corals should be fed? And um, let's also talk the difference in terms of the um, you know broadcast feeding versus uh, you know directly feeding on coral. Yeah. So a lot. Um, what we found is a lot of guys. Um, there's there's like a fifty fifty break between guys that um, broadcast feed 
and guys that target feed. I've found that um, a lot of farm like growers that are growing a lot of corals, um, they seem to broadcast feed a lot more. They just don't have the time to individually feed polyp per polyp um, of like the pellets, um, especially. Um, when it comes to powder, I personally, I like to broadcast feed just because I, I think it's easy. Um, nothing's easier than, than mixing some up in a cup. Um, you take the time, by the time you're done cleaning your glass, um, the water, you know, the coral frenzy has been absorbed by the water. You can pour it in your tank. Um, I usually turn off the overflow um, so it doesn't run all down into the, to the sump. Um, and then just let the recirculating pumps do their job. Can you also mix it in with um, like frozen foods? So if you're feeding your fish and you've got um, a whole bunch of goodies in your frozen food, can, can you mix a little coral frenzy in that and, and feed on a yeah. basis? Yeah, definitely. Um, and we know a lot of people that do that. Um, they, they take the frozen, they mix it with the tank water along with some coral frenzy. Um, we're going to release something in the fall, hopefully, um, that's going to um, add on something as far as a liquid form goes um, to help all that. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but this is the first time I've actually spoken about it. Um, and it's got, you know, it'll be released um, hopefully in the fall. Um, this whole corona thing kind of um, has changed a little bit in regards to that. Um, you can find out exactly which manufacturers can keep up with as far as bottles and jar, jars and, the, and that such. But um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Keith. No, I think um, I, re I really think that you know, a good diversity is great. You know, I mean, I have a, I have a great friend, Josh Avila, who owns um, Pied Reef. Um, they do phytoplankton and zooplankton. Um, you know, I get pods from him. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of live or frozen, like what I've always said on, you know, right in every advertisement, right on our website. Um, Coral Frenzy is for people that don't have the time or the patience to feed live or frozen food. And that's just the truth. Um, not everybody wants to take the time to do it. I mean, I surely, you know, right now we're stuck at home. It's really easy. You can feed whatever. But usually, you know, um, I just don't have the time or the patience. And I think a lot of people are in that same same boat. So there, hey, there's Phil from Reef Keepers on there. What's that? What's that? I, I just noticed over there on the side, uh, Phil from Reef, from Reef Keepers. Oh, oh. His tank, his tank's beautiful, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, maybe Phil will chime in with a question. Yeah. So there, there are, are um, there are a lot of other companies in this space in terms of the coral food space. What, um, what other players are out there that you think are really doing a good job that um, you know are, are being innovative? You know, I mean, like I mentioned, uh, Padre Reef. Um, you know, they they do a great job. Um, I think, I think Chad at Reef Nutrition, I, I think um, they're a top quality product. Um, you know, Larry from LRS, when it comes to Frozen, um, he's, he's done a great job um, for the hobby in, in, in terms of frozen foods. Um, a lot of the other ones, I really, you know, don't talk too much about them. I know there's a lot of copy, copying going on. I know a lot of... Um, products that are coming out there that that they definitely have not done their homework um 
I don't think that um, without bashing on anybody, I I really don't think that um, you should be putting like soy flour in your in your foods. Um, you know, I, I don't think you need filler, and that's the reason why we list every single thing out on our label. Um, we always have, we always will. Um, now every single jar that we have has its own unique serial number. Um, it can be traced back to the exact time that the jar was manufactured. Um, there's nothing hidden. And that's what, that's what it will always be. Um, it just makes it a lot easier. I don't have to answer 50 questions or why is this in there? That's the beauty of the internet. Um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of putting garlic um, in food. Why is that? Um, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people that, uh, you know, you, you read, you know, have homemade recipes. I, I have my own homemade recipe called, called reef bomb chum. And, um, but I'm, I'm not going to be competing with you guys. That's for sure. There again, I'm only selling <laughs> t-shirts. I'm not selling the actual food, but, um, when I was doing research and kind of putting together that blend, you know, a lot of, um, folks are using uh, garlic extract and I, I did use some of that in, in my food. What, um, what don't you like about garlic? Well, but, you know, back, um, I guess it's probably been about eight or nine years ago, there was a study that was pulled out um, that showed um, garlic's great for fish. Um, but when it comes to corals, it, it doesn't seem to do anything for the corals. So um, that's the main reason why we decided not to put anything um, like garlic into our food. Plus, you know, if somebody wants to add garlic powder, they can go out and find that, you know, at their local grocery store. Everything that's in our food um, is not easily available. Um, de definitely like the salmon roe, it's, it's, impo it's impossible. Um, we're one of the few uh, manufacturers that actually bring in the roe, dry it, and grind it down into a powder. Um, and we do it at a, at a low speed and a low temperature to make sure it keeps all its nutritional value. And there's, there's a ton of nutritional value in salmon roe. How do you make uh, that, that I mean, determination in terms of what ingredients have a good nutritional value for corals? I mean, what kind of research do you guys do if, if you can kind of share anything? Well, we, you know, I mean, we have independent labs look at everything. Um, we break it down. Um, we did, we've tried um, countless things over the years. I can remember when we first started out, um, we thought we would... Um, get some urchin row and, um, and dry it and grind it down and add it to the tank. Um, luckily back then we were smart enough. We'll, we still follow the same procedure, but back then we were smart enough just to add just a small amount to, uh, I think it was a, maybe it was a 10 or a 20 gallon tank with just a few corals in it. And it killed the whole tank. Ooh. It was like, I mean, almost instantaneously. It was like, Holy cow. I mean, something that lives in the ocean you think they'd be pretty safe, but that's not always the case. Um, so we've tested out a, a, a ton of ingredients over the years. Some of them have worked, some of them haven't. Um, you know, not not to go into too too much detail, but um, well, one thing that's pretty well known, and I and I've talked about it several times, is the fact that um, we'd had oyster larvae in our food since the beginning, and the main reason why we got rid of that was because um, it's illegal to sell um, products into Australia and Japan that have oyster part of it. And that's, it's, it doesn't matter how dead it is. It doesn't matter. I mean, especially Australia. I mean, Japan, um, 
we could probably get around it um, with enough work. I mean, if we spent a lot of years trying to do it, and we and we couldn't get through. Now I think we we might be able to. Things have opened up a little bit in regards to that. But Australia, there's no way. No, nothing that has once been alive or dead in regards to an oyster is coming into Australia. Mm. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, the, the Great Barrier Reef, I mean, they don't want to take any chance of, you know, anything happening to their their oyster population there. Do you see more um, regulation in, in the future for the coral, um, you know, food industry? I mean, is, is that um, something that potentially could, you know, like you said, in terms of Japan and Australia, kind of altered what the ingredients you put into the food? Is, is that something that you have to be more aware of in the future? Um, I wish, but I seriously doubt it. Oh, I'm getting lit up here on the phone. Um, I seriously doubt it. And the reason why I say that is because, um, the pet industry as a whole um, seems to close its eyes on a lot of things. I mean, you look at look at dog food and cat food. I mean, it varies so so greatly between one brand to another. But one thing that I think is changing, and and I hope it happens, and it, and it's and it they do a pretty good job here in the saltwater industry. Are people educate themselves on on foods? Um, it happens more and more as you know more people are going for healthier pets. The same thing happens with with their corals. People want to know what's going into their um, into their tanks. The the days of just putting marine you know phytoplankton or you know marine organisms on the side of a jar um, those days are gone, and if not, I, I would say it's going to be short-lived. If you're not willing to disclose everything, um, you know, I think you're going to be in a lot of trouble, um, especially from state. Every state varies from state to state, but, you know, you need to make sure that you have a, a top-notch facility. You need to make sure that you're um, obeying all the laws and regulations, both, you know, within your state and federally. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's something you really have to be uh, very aware of and, and to be a reputable company and, and have that, uh, you know, um, not, you know, you want to have that credibility. So I'm, I'm sure that's very important in terms of what you guys do. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, but one thing that I think is really going to change more than the coral food are the corals themselves. I mean, you, you already saw, like, there was an endo ban for quite a while. Um, they've lifted it, but it's being restricted quite a bit. I think you're going to see more and more and more of that. I, I think in 10 years from now, probably 90% of what's going to you're going to see in reef tanks are going to come from aquaculture, hopefully, um, and or um, facilities that do bring in wild. It'll just be brought in and small quantities to a select few um and hopefully they'll do a great job with it yeah i think um the aquaculture really in terms of the time that i've been in the hobby you know i've been in the hobby a long time and, and i know you have too it's just incredible to me how it changed i mean when i started out keeping sps it was all about getting wild colonies and and you know starting a new reef tank with some you know nice big starter corals that you didn't have to wait a while for them to grow and I don't think people really realized that they had acro-eating flatworms or red bugs until, um, you know, that stuff started to become, you know, known and, and recognized as issues. And 
And then people, I think, started to get um, more um, you know, smarter about dipping and, and not passing along those pests to other folks. But the aquaculture part has, has really changed things tremendously. I remember when I first tried to do, I mean, in, in the background on this uh, video here, you can see the alvea pour, and I've got some Ghanaian pourers in my tank. And man, when I first started trying to keep those corals, I could never keep them because they were all brought in as wild specimens. And I think they, um, they called them just general like flower pot corals. And they were just really, really attractive in the local fish store. And they were always uh, just looked nice and full and the polyps were flowing and you bring it home. And then a few months later, it's just be dead. And, and, and today, you know, I think you could buy frags of those types of corals in terms of the alveopore and the goniopore. That's what I did. And, and they're growing like weeds and it's really changed. Yeah. And, and I think if you, you know, if you're feeding your fish right and, and using foods like coral frenzy, it's just going to help, you know, maintain, it's going to help them maintain their health. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that's the only way to go. I mean, and I think that's why, you know, back in, back, you know, in the old days, I hate to say it, when you, when you and I were first starting out, you had to have a decent amount of money to start off in this hobby, basically because there was no question you were going to kill something. I mean, the, the, the corals, the corals were brought in wild. Um, like you said, they would be full of bugs or, you know, or disease, or, you know, you'd have a coral look great one day, and the next day at RTN, and, you know, the next day it'd be gone. Um, but, and, and then it was just basically food for your calcium reactor. But, but um, you know, the nice part about it is, is there's so many aquaculture corals right now, you know, that, that you can get a small frag with the faith that, you know, you can start off with you know, 25 polyps, and it'll, it'll be a full colony in a year. Yeah, patience is the key. That, that is the key. And the other thing is what's real common now that wasn't common back in the day are, are quarantine tanks. Yeah. Um, you can get a 10-gallon tank now for $130 that'll be set up, and you can keep your coils in there for 30 days or 60 days and not have to worry about anything. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I've, um, I've always, uh, you know, thought the same thing in terms of quarantine tanks. It's, it's great. It's a little extra work. It's a little extra money to maintain. I mean, you can, you can certainly set up a, a relatively inexpensive quarantine system for corals. You know, same with, same with fish, almost like a little temporary hospital tank to make sure the, um, the fish are not bringing any disease into your main display tank. And that's always a smart move. So, you know, the more, more and more people are doing that, and again, that's just kind of um, lessens the spread of, of all the pests and bugs and disease in the hobby, and, and that's a good thing. But it's, it's, it's also really good to see that a lot of the um, online coral vendors are um, taking multiple uh, precautions to, to make sure that they have pest-free corals, which is a really smart thing. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know that you do. I mean, um, I remember we did a giveaway with you a couple of years ago um, on a red planet, and the person who won it, you know, said he couldn't believe it. He di he dipped it three times, and he couldn't believe there wasn't one single pest on it. I mean, but but that just goes to show you. I mean, you really need to to make sure that you're giving a top quality product, just like like what you do. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, Ken, we're uh, we're getting close to the end here. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, talk about in terms of coral friend frenzy, or just 
the uh, reef keeping in general? Not really. I mean, I just want to thank everybody for the support over the years. I mean, it's been, um, we're going on um, 14 years now, so that's um, it's a long time. It, it seems like just yesterday that we were um, we were first mixing it up, but I want to thank everybody um, over the years for all their support, especially you, um, for having me on here. Um, you need to talk more about your um, two tank of the month wins. It's, um, it's quite impressive, Keith. Yeah, I know you, you're a very humble person, but I don't think people realize um, what you've built over the years. I mean, you've had two of them. You've got another one right there that you'd probably win again if you displayed it, um, which is um, impressive. I mean, it's it's one thing to, you know, it's one thing when you see people, you know, they get in a hobby and a year later they have this huge reef and it's all full. Um, but that's usually because they bought it all, you know. But it's, it's another thing when you just take them from small frags like you've always done built them into a huge reef like you've done it's it's quite a testament yeah no thanks it's 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 definitely you gotta just kind of have that vision if if you set the tank up right and you take your time that's what I always tell people is that don't rush it you know give it a few months before you start really um you know starting stocking up on the corals and all that stuff and make sure things are going right and you're going to get through the ugly uh, stage for sure in terms of algae and that happens to everybody and it can be frustrating but you just kind of kind of grind through it and uh once you do it's it's going to be rewarding and if things are stable i mean that's the whole key too is just to have the stable tank in terms of those parameters and and then the corals will respond eventually to that stability and, and the patience so those have always been the keys for me great well listen kent i want to thank you for being a guest on the uh, on the show, I really appreciate it. And uh, Ken, where where, where can you. folks uh, find uh, Coral Frenzy Food uh, these days? So hopefully you'll find it at every local fish store that you go to. Um, if your local fish store doesn't have them, have them contact me. Um, we can make sure that they get it. Um, you can find it on our website um, www.coralfrenzy.com. You can find it. Um, there's a, there's a multitude of online vendors that also sell it. Um, but we'd really prefer everybody to run into your local fish store. Um, while you're there, grabbing a jar of coral frenzy, maybe you'll pick up a coral or, you know, another piece of live rock um, or just buy a bigger tank in general. So um, that's, what we'd, that's what we'd like everybody to do. Yeah, local fish stores are just so important. I mean, that's really my first memory in terms of getting into the hobby and walking into my local fish store stores and you know you just go in there and you and you talk to the folks that are working in there you talk to other reef keepers it's a really cool gathering place and and hopefully you'll be able to gather those places real soon <laughs> again <laughs> thank you but uh, all right listen thank everybody so thanks for thanks for tuning in next week i'm going to be doing a live stream on tuesday at 5 p.m and I'm going to have Scott Lee from Royal Exclusive as my guest. So hopefully you guys will uh, tune in to that show. But uh, until then, thanks for checking this out. And, and Ken, I'll, I'll see you soon. Thanks a lot, Keith. Appreciate it. Tell Scott I said hi. Will do. Well, you can tell him next week if you tune in. Well, yeah, I'll tune in for sure. Adios.